Hello, and we are the Makes of History. With me, Foz, and Ross. Say hello, Ross. Hello. Do you like how I want to say, and Ross, there's always like a big pause. and that one, There was never intentional, but I always end up doing it. Yeah, that's become our thing now. Like, you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> I like how we tried to, in the first episode to do like, oh, we'll have an intro stuff, and that's all gone completely out the fucking window. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking gone, <laughs> mate. It's just easier just to start getting to talking, <laughs> innit? Like, I, I can remember us planning, like the original intro, and we were like, we're going to have the same intro on every episode. And that just went to like, like we just couldn't get one, could we? We tried, yeah. but we just was like, nah. It just felt so forced. Like, you and me are not actors. Like, what you hear is <laughs> what you're fucking getting. Like, we're just... You know what I mean? Like, we can't... When, we have massive problems. If we ever lose the recordings and we have to record it again. Like, we both just can't do it. Well, I can't. You, you're better than me at it. But I just can't... Yeah, you I know, cannot perform at Yeah, all. perform it. I just have to be keep it... You know what I mean? I keep it real. You, if you were, like, a captured killer whale at SeaWorld, you'd be, I, like, the one that just can't do the fucking tricks and they're just like, oh, I have to shoot this one at the back. I'd just go room. murdering. I'd be, mad, I'd, be, I'd be mad for murdering the keepers. You know that one that one whale that go, goes creepy-eyed? Tilikum, yeah. And he, like, just starts murdering them. I'd be mad. I'd tilikum up that bitch... You know what I mean, you're <laughs> capturing, you can't put a but mit fuzz in a box. Oh, I'd be collaborating with them like fucking crazy. You like, would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've jumped through hoops, sir. Yeah, yeah same, more like a fucking it. fish, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Collaborate, eh? Collaborate a while. <laughs> Collaborating for fucking tuna. <laughs> man's gotta live. Yeah, man's gotta eat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I derailed that intro a little bit. So I'm good, like, yeah. what do we talk about? How was your week? So, how was your week, mate? What do you know? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, today was, in fact, a public holiday in Czech Republic. So, I have been having a magical time with the kids of a play area thing. Play time. Adventure time. Yeah. You said it sounds, it sounds pretty good, to be fair. Like, just trying to get home was the issue, aren't it? Yeah, like every single dickhead making their own queue out of the car park. It was literally like people fleeing from a disaster scene. You're like, okay, when the disaster movies happen, like everyone's fucking dying in their cars in New York. That <laughs> was like a thousand checks trying to leave a fucking car park in a field somewhere in central Bohemia. One thing you gotta know, everyone else in the world that's not from the UK, we like a queue. And when we you don't like stick to the queue rules in the UK, someone's gonna tell you. Yeah. And if you don't if you don't get back in line, someone's gonna hit you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing like, it's like, oh the British people are so polite. It's like, no, if you don't conform to the, the rules, you're taking out. The threat shot. of violence is constantly <laughs> there. <laughs> and that's how we like to keep it. <laughs> so yeah, so you had a bit of a what did you do during the day? You was there all day, were you? Yeah, yeah, from like ten AM or something like that. So, got my money's worth out of it. To be fair, it was like between some snacks and entry, it was like 60 quid. So, I fucking milked every possible minute for that. Oh, you got them, man. That's a. Well. That's, that's a yeah. lot of money for a dart, especially in the Czech Republic as well. Cause yeah, it's yeah, typically like, cheaper there. Yeah, like 2,000 crowns. That's significant. Yeah. But yeah, how are you? Was it, I'm so a lot, good. mate. Yeah, not too bad. Uh,. Busy week at work, even though I've only been for two days, got down with the flu. Uh, had a terrible time with that. Really, really terrible time. But that yeah. was alright. I'm through that. I'm feeling much better. I feel this like I've be been it. sick. Like, 
twice in six months from a flu like kind of thing. This is going to be the snottiest episode we've ever done. Yeah, because right? you were sick as well, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. We've we been kissing secretly, not telling no one. It's we, not secret. Because we live in this one. <laughs> you can never be in two places because there's only one of you. That's a saying that I heard, and I live my life by that. So, but yeah, we both got flu at the same time, didn't we? So, yeah, because we're soulmates. We are soulmates. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, a couple of days in work, yeah, everything's going well. Nice. Uh, been at my new job now six weeks, I think it is. It's six weeks. Been good. Really enjoying it. So, yeah, no, that's been good as well, mate. Beer wise, what you on? What you got? I am on Primator. Very nice. Which I've had for a while. No, you haven't actually. Uh, cause oh, man, you Trump bought some back, didn't you? You bought some me over it. Was that Primator? No, that was Bernstein. That's the, the oh, yeah. part of it, sir. Um, Primitor's like kind of my favourite mass beer, I think. Yeah, I, I know like, you've had it loads of times. Before. Yeah, only certain shops carry it. So I went to a, I went on a big mission to the Big Albert. Oh, I love Big Albert. Yeah, yeah. Big Albert. Every time I see that strap, I laugh. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> Albert um, Mega Store. What do we call it? Hypermarket. Hypermarket. That's what they call it. Like we yeah, hypermarket. We don't use that word in the UK. Very often. The words hyper and super do not get enough use in the UK. Mm. You always know it's. I'm trying to say something and not sound racist here, but you always <laughs> know it's like not a British owned company when it's called like super something. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we don't never call things that. Like you can always tell, like. We're <laughs> like pretty good. Yeah. Apart from the supermarket, actually. That's <laughs> the most common concept. one. That's a generic concept. But... Yeah, but if you went to like Hyper Morrison's, it just yeah, but su- yeah, weird. but the the supermarkets aren't called super stuff. They're like Morrison's, as the yeah. Waitrose, the Ooh, fancies. Yeah, super little, super little. Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, tell us more about your beer, mate. Taking you off track again. Yeah, no, that's basically what I had. It's like um, they proper lean into like this. Label everything like Czech craft brewery. It's like there's nothing craft about this. It's they just, it's just good it's, beer. Just yeah. you know what I mean. When you've already got a badge of honour by being Czech beer, like why change? Why try and make it anything else? You only you're degrading yourself. Anything Czech beer, well, wicked label. I think this one doesn't actually meet the official standards because, like, when you have like a because it has like European protected origin on it for yeah. Czech beer. This does not have that, so I think they oh. don't make it in the traditional ma- manner. Oh, that's worth an interesting. Maybe that's worth a Google. Yeah. See what you can find. Oh, that's interesting. It's delicious. It's delicious, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. What have you got? Well, uh, I'm on a very nice. I think I've had it before when we've been doing this. Adnam Southwold Easy Up IPA because it's a gluten free IPA. That sounds like a minor character from the Lord of the Rings. Uh. So Adnam Southwold is it's Adnams of Southwold. That's the brewer Adnams. Okay. They're a very actually really old brewer, like proper old brewer. So Adnams brought the brewery in like the eighteen hundreds. No good. And it's been a brewing site since they can date it back to like mid thirteen hundreds. How mad's that? Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? That's an old ass brewer. Like the monks, you know the monks. Yeah. I don't think Monk's got anything to do with it, but you remember them. Are you aware of the concept of Monk's? Yeah, I am. It's like that. 
<laughs> you know, like the drunk monks. Like, yeah, I get that. Before I, I talk, talk. About, I bet he was there. Yeah, just hanging out there down at the Southwold. It's <laughs> down at Southwold, Fucking yeah. misdirecting Nazgul on their way to Where the fuck Southwold? Is that that's Sussex, isn't it? Or one of them? Oh, fuck that. Wessex. Uh, West <laughs> Middlesex. Yeah, it's... No, I think it's... It's not Middlesex, that's London. Yeah, it's one, it's one of the sexes. I know it's... I've got to Google it. I'm going to Google it. Adnams. Adnams. Southwold. Southwold is... I can, uh, I can just hear the listeners Suffolk. Like, disconnecting. Suffolk. It's there in Suffolk. Go. There we go. There Thank we go. you. But it's very nice. It's, it's banging, to be fair. I got a load of bottles of it. For, I think it was for my birthday, maybe. Yeah, it's for my birthday. In fact, yeah, it's off my mother-in-law. It's lovely. I just got me about 12 bottles of it, so I'm working my way through them. Good job, mother-in-law. Mm. So, what do you know? Where did we leave it last time? Just can't really remember. And what are we going to talk about today? All right, so last time then, we talked about... We finished up with um, the Anschluss of Austria, right? So Austria being added into the German Empire. The rest of Europe collectively shrugs its shoulders and watches it happen. And for one country in particular, this was a major fucking disaster, which was Czechoslovakia. And this we're going to talk about mostly today is how Czechoslovakia came to be incorporated into the German Reich, or at least the Czech lands did, anyway. So, we, we talked about Hitler's book. So, obviously, there's Mein Kampf, which is, lays out his vision for the East and conquering the Lebensraum, the living space from the, from the Soviet Union. And his second book, which was never published, and we still don't know why, in amongst ourselves, um, and that one details more about the danger of America and the the like American lifestyle and the the economic power of America basically. I wonder if you can get the audio book of Mon Camp. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd listen to it then. Like I can't be asked to read it, but it's supposed to. I've never read Mon Camp, but it's supposed to be like one of the most fucking unhinged, badly written pieces of shit ever. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's done the voice for the audio book then. I, I would also I would love it to be like a real like beloved child's entertainer, like Noel Edmonds <laughs> reads Mein Kampf. Mister Blavey. <laughs> <laughs> and then the master race must conquer the East. Blubby blubby blub. <laughs> That's only going to make sense to UK listeners. That's going to make sense to UK listeners who remember nineties Saturday Night TV. <laughs> yeah, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Now, in neither of these books does he mention Czechoslovakia. Now, Czechoslovakia was newly created state. It's only existed since 1918. But it's, it's on the idea of Bohemia, though, isn't it? Which was a state for a long time. Bohemia's been knocking around for, like, since about 1000 AD. Mm, long time. Today's public holiday in Czech is commemoration of the first Bohemian king. That works, obviously. Yeah, well, it's incredible. Did you this plan that? Like, no. Oh, like this is a complete coincidence. Oh but... man, that's cool as fuck. That is. Oh yeah. Cheers to the uh, cheers to the checks. That's Ravi Chesko. So, um, Czechoslovakia itself has become independent in 1918. Obviously, it extends along the eastern side of the German border. Um, obvious strategic threats, like you know, a dagger pointing into the heart of Germany. Think of the shape of Czechoslovakia. 
There's also a lot of anti-Czech sentiment amongst the German leadership. Obviously, they're like prejudiced against the Slavs in general. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't think Hitler. Remember, is Austrian and Czech nationalists have been a major factor in the breakup of Austria-Hungary. Like the the oh, Czechs yeah, had been. It was a huge part of it, weren't it? Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. They'd been pushing for their. Obviously, own... they got their own nation. Yeah, exactly. At the expense of Austria-Hungary. Yeah. And you also mentioned before uh, about Bohemia. So Bohemia obviously goes back centuries as part of the Holy Roman Empire, which yeah. Germany also perceives itself as the descendant of. Yes. So for Hitler, a, 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 you know, a complete Germany includes Bohemia. You'd think so, wouldn't you? That so only makes perfect sense because Bohemia is a massive part of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. A very wealthy, large part of it. So this has been an ongoing struggle between Czech and German nationalists mm. going back into the 19th century. Who owns Bohemia, Germans or Czechs? So why would you not mention it in his book? Kind of strange, isn't it? But there's no mention of it in either book. I think that's really weird. Well, he was fucking mental, though, so... Yeah, true. I mean, he's too busy, like, you know, shouting about how the Jews are controlling his mind. Yeah, exactly. Making him do all that heroin and everything else. <laughs> he loved so, heroin. Wait, <laughs> When Czechoslovakia became independent, uh, question for you, Foz. Which is the second biggest ethnic group in Czechoslovakia? Obviously, first it's going to be the Czechs. Who's the second biggest ethnic group? I know it's probably not Slovakians because it's a trick question. So I would say exactly. Germans. Exactly correct. Yeah, I was trying to get you. Yeah, you fucker. You can't get me that easy. So the like the idea of a Czechoslovakian identity basically had to be invented and part of the reason what why it had that? to be oh okay carry on I was literally going to ask you what you're just about to say um, yeah they're like there's various like exiled nationalists the most important is a guy named Tomasz Garrick Masaryk who will become the first Czechoslo- Czechoslovak president and basically they had to decide that Slovaks and Czechs are actually kind of the same thing and invent a new identity of Czechoslovaks as it's a not way. No, they're not. Completely not. Different culture, different history. Like, the languages are mutually intelligible, but they're not the same language. Um, but it's a way of making an absolute majority of Czechoslovaks in the territory of Czechoslovakia. Because otherwise you have more Germans than Czechs. Because Slova- Slovakia... Would Slovakia have been historically part of Hungary then? Yes. Hungary... Uh, Czechs- uh, bloody hell. Slovakia was part of Hungary. And was basically in Roma- l- Renaissance period time, we're talking through, up until nineteen eighteen as part okay. of the Austrian Empire. But going back centuries, Slovakia hadn't been an independent country since the ninth century. But it had like been that. a well, they got their own language, so they had their own language and culture. But they were like essentially a group of mountain peasants that were ruled over by Hungarians. Like there wasn't really like a written Slovak culture okay. as such in the nineteenth century, so it had to be kind of. Semi-invented. Czech also to an extent. Um, they're also different. Like The Czechs are non-religious. The Slovaks are heavily Catholic. There's lots of differences. But they had to kind of make and uh, make them into one thing to make sure that Czechoslovaks outnumber the Germans. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. So when it comes to the treaties that, that end the First World War, the Czechoslovaks have basically become backed by the Allies. And there's this ongoing question in of um, where the border's going to be for Bohemia. right? So the German-speaking Austrian Bohemians want to either A, join Germany, 
which is definitely like ruled out. Like Germany's not getting rewarded more territory. Yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when it comes to Germany, you've just lost World War One. You don't get to have more stuff. So then their next attempt was to join Austria, which they wanted to call German Austria. And again, the Allies are like, no, Austria's not mm. having more territory. The Czechoslovak delegation completely wins out. They get the historic borders of Bohemia and Moravia and Silesia. Which makes sense. But there's a lot of Germans there. Like in, You basically have two German populations. Now, they all get kind of lumped into the term Sudeten Germans, which are, you've probably heard from Yeah, before. yeah, Sudetenland. Yeah, the Sudetenland is a name that refers to basically the mountainous borders around the edges of the Czech land, right? Um, they're very, very heavily German, like 90% German in places. Still? Ah, no, 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 no. We'll come to why that is at the end. Um, so the mountains, it's like, you know, small villages, heavily forested, mining communities, small industrial towns and villages, very German. There's also in the cities lots of German speakers who are either A, ethnic German, or B, Czechs who switched to speaking German because it was more useful for mm-hmm. urban life in Prague and Brno and places like this. Um, the German population had been invited to the Sudetenland way back in the Middle Ages like as, to help settle this wilderness. And then after the Austrian takeover, like if you wanted to have a good job or good career, you need to speak German, not Czech. Okay. So the cities end up being like German speaking. They, in the 19th century, they gradually switch back to Czech. After 1918 and the creation of Czechoslovakia, things flip on their heads. So although we said like there's this Czechoslovak identity, it's really it's Czech. It is very Czech. Okay. Um, so there's also unhappiness in Slovakia that there's like minimal representation of Slovaks as well. And for the Germans, they perceive a oppression of the German language. Strictly speaking, there's a sort of language equality, which works on the principle that if something like, I think it's like 50% of the population in an area speaks a particular language, they should be able to have services in that language. Okay. So it's not just German, but also Ukrainian and Hungarian and other languages as well. There's a lot of ethnicities in, in Czechoslovakia. Which is fine. You say, okay, you live in a German village, your kids can go to a German-speaking school, you can go to the post office and it's in German, fine. Wherever it becomes a problem, though, is the central government is very Czech, which means it limits the career options for, like, educated Germans. Yeah. To get to a certain point, you have to be able to speak Czech to understand the orders coming from centre, or if you think you work in Prague, okay, a German can go to the city office and they can do their business in German. Cool. A Czech can go and do their business in Czech. Cool. You need people that understand both languages. Educated Czechs generally spoke German. Educated Germans did not speak Czech. So all of those good jobs that have been kind of secured for the German speakers under Austria were now switched to belong to the Czechs. Okay, yeah. So there's kind of an economic missing out. In the Sudeten area, so this mountain wilderness foresty areas around the, the Czech borders, the Great Depression hits really hard. There's lots more unemployment, like double the unemployment in the German-speaking parts of Bohemia compared to the Czech-speaking areas. Okay. So there's a lot of resentment building up. Um, 
there forms a political party for the Sudeten German, like a nationalist Nazi-inspired party called the Sudeten Sudeten Deutsches Partei. By 1938, they were getting 90% support in German-speaking areas. Oh, wow, God. And they, they were really formed, fed up them. Yeah. And they for, also, they see the success of Hitler in Germany. Yeah. And they're like, we want some of that. And they even formed their own like paramilitary organisation, the Sudeten Deutsches Freikorp, which are going to be born later. So, into 1938 then, after the Anschluss of Austria... Hitler has decided war with Czechoslovakia has to happen. The, these German speakers have to be reclaimed, but also Czechoslovakia is one of the most industrialised countries in Europe. Their GDP per capita is comparable to countries like Switzerland. Uh, Sweden, sorry, rather than Switzerland. They're wealthy industrial power. They make a lot of weapons. Mm, like, they still do. Caesar, they still do. It's a very famous brand of firearms. Oh, you think the Bren gun of the British Army in World War II mm. is a Czech design. The Beezer machine gun that equips British tanks, also a Czech design. So Hitler needs to secure that industry, and he plans to have a war by October of 1938. He chooses October specifically because he needs to let the men and the horses from the army help with the harvest. So he has to wait until the harvest is over. <laughs> okay. And again, it's like what we were saying before, like Germany's very unevenly developed. In some respects, it's heavily... Uh, industrialised, advanced economy of areas that's very backward. And this is where we see that kicking in. Like, you can't go to war because you have so many horses in the army, they need to pull the ploughs. Mm, that's, it's, yeah, that's... Doesn't... It, it's because they've invested so heavily in the military, isn't it? That's what yeah, I think. It's and unbalanced. caught up with everything. everything else, yeah. Yeah. So, Czechoslovakia is a formal treaty ally of both Britain and France, right? So they're both committed to the defence. I like that. I thought they were just. Uh, I thought we were just guaranteeing them. No, they <laughs> have a full game, alliance. Okay. Hitler's plan is to isolate the Czechs, and again, this is where Hitler is completely detached from reality. I, I know, I'm. I'm not going to spoil too much while skipping ahead, but it makes it feel like that's a dick move what we did to him to let that happen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We were allies, like. I don't know yeah. how he played face on that. What was his name? Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Fucking dickhead, man. That was a dick move, that was. You know where he was from? I don't say Birmingham. Red Zone. Oh. <laughs> fuck off. What a bad representation of us. You know Chamberlain Square in Birmingham? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Bad move, giving that... Sorry, carry on. I skipped ahead and I actually said what we skipped ahead to. <laughs> So, Czechoslovakia is allied to Britain and France. Hitler thinks he can isolate them. Because Hitler, in his mind, the British have to join Germany because Britain and Germany should understand that America's the real enemy. And, of course, the UK, naturally, is going to see through the Jewish conspiracy allied with Germany and defeat the Americans who are controlled by the Jews. Of course, obviously makes perfect sense. Perfect sense, yeah. And his plan is that he will ally with the British and then together they will fight a war against the French in 1943-44. I can in... see, sort of see why you'd probably think that, because historically, especially at that time period, if you look in the last past hundred years, it's like, they're also baddies. <laughs> so they'll go on with us, you know what I mean? Obviously, for the last hundred years, we've been exploiting fucking Africa and everywhere, haven't we? So he probably yeah. actually thought, looked at us and thought, oh, they're, what, like, racial super... Uh, like, super... What's, yeah. this, what's the word? Uh, uh, supremacists. Yeah. It, that's probably what he thought. Yeah, I think like if you only look at the world through like Hitler's racial 
lenses and you see the world completely in terms of race struggle and Jewish conspiracy, it makes sense. Yeah. But if you have any fucking attachment to reality, it doesn't work. Yeah, especially so when, when there's ju- an alliance already in place, but to be fair, we know what Hitler cares about alliances anyway. Yeah. So after Anschluss, so um, the British and French kind of make it clear that they are going to fight over Czechoslovakia. They will defend Czechoslovakia. And Hitler, for the first time, has to seriously consider the British Empire is going to be an enemy when this war happens. Mm. Now, the army had fully understood this, because the army are not led by Nazi racial theorists. They're led by professional generals. As soon as tension starts rushing up in 1937, they're like, we have to plan on the assumption we are at war with Britain. Mm. And the Luftwaffe and the Kriegsmarine follow suit. And they make their war plans in 1948 on what, that basis. What war plans can the Kriegsmarine make against fucking <laughs> the French and the British? Like well, obviously, a British navy at the time was the biggest probably navy in the world, and then yeah, the French was yeah. what probably third, third or fourth. Yeah, it's up there. Like it's Japan would probably be ahead in the USA, of course. But after that, no, at it's, this it's, point, the USA wouldn't have been there, would they? They have a big navy by the way. Okay. Japan is also up there, but France and Italy are the next tier. And like mm. exactly like you say, fucking Germany has nothing navally. And also importantly, Italy is not allied with Germany yet. Yeah, so that's not... There's, there's, so the there's Italian navy, there. very, very good navy. But Germany has basically nothing. Like, they would need a decade for the Greeks Marine to be able to contest the Royal Navy if the Royal Navy didn't build probably, anything for 10 years. Probably, yeah, I was going to say, probably <laughs> more than that as well. That's crazy. They were it? never going to catch up. Never going to catch up. So the military chiefs understood... If we fight Czechoslovakia, we fight France, we fight the UK. But for Hitler, this was such a shocking revelation that the British are going to fight for Czechoslovakia. He couldn't get his head around it. He was deeply frustrated. And also, Czechoslovakia concluded a security agreement with the Soviet Union. Hitler realises he will be fighting the Western powers and the Soviet Union. Hang on, what did you say about the Soviet Union? They also had an agreement. With the Czechoslovakia, yeah. Didn't know that? Okay. Yeah, so the Soviets guaranteed... They stabbed them as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, poor Czechs, man. Yeah, the Czechs, like, constantly shitted on by <laughs> history. All of us, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. in 1938, Hitler believes France, on its own, can be beaten. But if you're German and you're fighting the UK and France and maybe the Soviet Union, you're not going to win. Like, it's just rerunning the First World War. That's exactly the coalition mm. that Germany lost to. Like, no one believed even France and the UK together would lose. Again, they had smashed the German army to pieces in 1918. Mm. And it would just be rerunning the result of the First World War, but Germany's not as strong as it was, and it doesn't have a great power ally. Austria-Hungary doesn't exist anymore. The German army is a bit better than the French army in terms of technology and doctrine, but the navy is way behind the UK and the Marine Nationale. And the Luftwaffe is very advanced and large for the time, but they already know that they cannot sustain that advantage once the industrial uh, input of the UK and France and maybe also the Soviet Union kicks in. And it's also... On, they know that. They know that. They understand it completely. Like, the procurement heads in, in, the, in the Wehrmacht and the Luftwaffe, they are consistently saying this. Like, there's a guy named General Thomas, who's the, Kriegsmer- uh, the Wehrmacht procurement guy, and he's throughout the time saying... We cannot sustain any sort of advantage over the Western Allies. We cannot beat them industrially. 
Everybody knew this. And they also knew, as a matter of fact, if Germany starts a war, the United States is going to be economically at least supporting the Allies if they don't fight personally. And, you know, the USA is 50% of global GDP in the 1940s. It should have been abundantly clear. It just baffles you, don't (laughs) you? Like, why? I know, I know, I know it's Hitler we're talking about, but how, on what what perspective do you possibly think in that situation? Let's keep pressing. I don't understand what, what he's possibly thinking to think that if he starts some shit in the long term, he knows he's been told he's going to lose. Did he just not believe everyone? Well, well, this is what I find really strange with Hitler. Because like, like we said earlier on, like there's some guys like Goering who are like pretty much straightforward German nationalists. Anti-Semites, yes, of course. But their thing is, a great Germany is what they want. Hitler has this really weird going on thing going on of like, I want the races to fight and the strongest race is going to win. It's not even about the Germans winning. Like, it's almost like, yeah, it's literally like he doesn't care if he win, if they win or lose. Yeah. It's it's very, very strange because like, if, if you look at it with any rationality, it was already clear Germany was going to lose the war. <laughs> I can imagine, like, you know, when he blew his brains out in his bunker, I'd imagine he was just like, well, that's the answer. Oh, you know, bang, I'm glad we tested this. Yeah. <laughs> Experiment over. <laughs> bang. So, I mean, from the, the Western fuck, perspective, like, you know, they once it became clear from, I think, about 37 that Germany is not playing ball anymore, the West, the Western Allies begin rearming, right? And by 1938, it's starting to pay off. So, we talked about last time from about 36 that the technology is ramping up, like Spitfires and Hurricanes replacing biplanes. The Royal Navy is outspending the Kriegsmarine by 30% every single year since 1933. Oh, wow. So, And we ordered a massive advantage. Exactly. A ridiculous advantage. The German Navy, like the Imperial German Navy, had been destroyed at the end of the First World War. Germany did not have a navy. The Royal Navy had loads of legacy ships. They're outspending 30% every single year. So even like these massive plans the Kriegsmarine's making, like, oh, yeah, in 10 years we'll have this, this, and this... What's the Royal Navy going to have 30% more? Mm. Like, it's... So the Royal Navy is already outspending Germany on its own by a massive margin. And that doesn't include France. (laughs) No, not including the Marine Nationale, which is also ramping up. And also, in 1938, the US uh, Senate passes the Naval Expansion Bill, which is the single biggest peacetime military spend in American history, authorising new battleships, new carriers. By this time, we'd ripped up that uh, the naval packs. The Washington to... Naval Treaty. Yeah, that was uh, ripped up then by then, was it? Not by the British and Americans. Oh, okay. Just to be the, clear, the... that's like an agreement we all come to after World War One about how many ships we could build, like military ships were. Only. About how many ships and what size. Germany was not part of the treaty. Germany, like Germany, was considered irrelevant and not included. Basically, it said like for every one ship, uh, every five ships that Britain and America builds. Japan can have three, and France and Italy can have one, something like that. It also limited the what size. What was France of the limited? The, it was. A, and what was whole, America getting a good deal out of it, considering nothing in World War One? It's accepting the reality that America's a world power after World War One, and France, like their global commitments, are not the same as the British. Do you not think that's mad that they got to put put such a big stamp on that treaty? 
that the US considering like they didn't I must have did nothing. They did obviously the US had were involved in World War One, but nowhere near to the level of the rest of us. Exactly. So they come out of it with their manpower and their industry untouched, whereas like twenty percent of British men have been killed or injured, the French numbers are like way worse. So for the USA it's like yeah, Quite big dog on the table. Yeah, yeah. I get it though, I suppose. It's the other side of the world for them, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. Well, the care. <laughs> like, both world wars were fantastic for business for America. Yeah, they were, weren't they? Like every war is. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the other powers are waking up. The RAF is projecting to produce 12,000 new aircraft in two years. So, with that, there goes Germany's existing advantage on aircraft. And one of the things that makes the Luftwaffe strong is they don't have all the legacy types that the RAF has. Yeah, they've got all they got the modern shit because obviously they've got no old shit ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So with all the Western Allies then, uh, like ramping up production, Germany's already got a plan for what we're gonna what they were gonna do mm-hmm. like produ- numbers wise. So surely they're gonna catch wind of this. What's going? What challenges? Like what? They yeah. start responding to it because obviously we know how it, how it what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so something's got to have changed. Yeah. So Germany would have had this like big military expansion plan aimed for 1940, right? So they moved that up to 1939. Now was the target. Their focus is on, which might be kind of surprising, is on the fortifications on the German border with France, the West Wall. They spend twice as much as the uh Twice as much resources on the West Wall as they do on tanks in the same period. Wow. Why? Because the plan is use well, the West yeah, Wall okay, yeah. to keep the French at bay while they defeat the Czechs. Oh, okay. That wasn't what I was expecting. I was thinking I'd go round the go round the Maginot. No, so no, no. We'll so hold them there and then go round. But this is way before that. Yeah. So they have basically their own version of Maginot on the German side of the border. The plan is sit behind the bunkers, use the tanks to crush the Czechs. And then come back and deal with the French. Okay. So, then we from, it. from May 1938, so the spring of 1938, they go, Germany goes all out for military production. Like, the rest of the economy is now completely... It's already going all out? I can get more all out? <laughs> <laughs> well, they triple the amount of steel they're putting into the army. So oh, remember, wow. all steel Where's is allocated... Where's that come from, then? Comes so away we already from know they're on shortages. Yeah, so everything else loses steel. So Hitler, you know, as we already said, Hitler's personally allocating the steel for the different projects. You want to build houses, you want to build railway cars, anything. Hitler's moving three times the amount into the military. Wow. Goering orders 7,000 new Ju-88 bombers. I like the Ju-88 as well. That's a nice plane, that is. It's a lovely looking plane. Goering's plan is the Ju-88 is going to be the core of the Luftwaffe, and the point of the JU-88, the twin-engine medium bomber, is for smashing cities in France and the UK. It's not as well known as the, the uh, JU-87, obviously, because it's yeah. a siren. But I like the J- I'm a fan of the JU-88. Goering completely wanted the Luftwaffe to be all about the JU-88. Obviously, it never happened. You don't they... see them very often in footage either, do you? But I think because they're so standard-looking. Like, really, yeah. all it is, it's like a big twin-engine plane, and you've got... Um, 
couple of guns at the front, nothing impressive because it's a bomber. You've got a big opening hatch that can drop lots of small, not massive bombs, but smallish to medium sized bombs. Don't drop nothing huge, does it, Jake? Because it's a medium range bomber. Don't drop yeah, nothing. Yeah, I mean, they get like, I think the biggest coast of like a thousand kilo bomb. Yeah, and it, it split, it wouldn't carry one of them, it would split them up. And they they use bombs. it in a lot of different roles. They have a lot of different variants. They make it into like a night fire. To they make it to a ground attack. And they get a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah, it's great. Like, I think it's great. It's one of my, it's one of the, my favourite German players from World War II. <laughs> I really like it. But it's not. It ain't got that silhouette of the Ju eighty seven, has it? Yeah, and it, it never became the core of the Luftwaffe in the way. He oh, he didn't. Okay, it. I didn't realize. They never got the production up. So like when you think of like the German bombers over Britain, what you think of it? Heinkel 111s, mm. like with the glass nose and the big chunky. Hg 111. That's the one, yeah. 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 So the Ju8 should have been doing their job, like they shouldn't but have. Been I didn't think it would have had the range to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a. Yeah. Okay. From so long as it operates from bases in France, not an issue. Yeah, yeah, very true. Anyway, so half of the entire workforce in the aviation industry is making bombers, and all of the other what, companies half. half like there's a real commitment to the Ju88. Before radar came along, there was an absolute belief everywhere that the bomber could not be stopped and the bomber would always destroy the city. Okay, and what's that great British invention? Radar. To be fair, like the quote is like the bomber will always get through. Was a British prime minister saying this? Was it? <laughs> yeah. Didn't fucking work out that way, did it? Yeah, because we invented the radar. We fucking told him. But yeah, like in the mid thirties, people before people understood how this was going to go, the assumption was bombers were always going to reach the city before you can react to it. Okay, yeah. Well, before radar, how the fuck would you know unless you could yeah, see them? Exactly, exactly. If you didn't know it existed, it was yeah, it's a black swan event. It completely changed everything, right? But you know, putting half of your aviation industry into making bombers, the only reason for this is an air war against the West, like a long scale war of industry and attrition against western cities mm. they also completely mobilised the entire chemical industry Germany's a world leader in chemicals at the time right and still is like you know BASF and IG Farben IG Farben is arguably the biggest chemical company in the world the only thing you can compare it to is like standard oil in America like the ancestor of ExxonMobil today yeah what's that uh, oil company called or lubrication company Fox. F-U-C-H is a German no, company. No. They're massive, though. I know they do a lot of lubricants. They're a huge German company as well. They've been going for years, I think. Yeah, but also, you know, BSF around at this time as well, so I can have one of the world's biggest even now. There's a lot of intermixing of IG Farben and the government. So they basically so sort of soft-nationalised the chemical industry to make explosives, and they bring in a guy named Karl Krausch from... IG Farben to oversee it all and IG Farben and the government just become completely intertwined what tends to happen when there's a need for chemicals you know it's about fuel it's about synthetic rubber it's about ammo the government goes to IG Farben scientists appoint them to like oversee and then they appoint other IG Farben people so they become completely intertwined with the Nazi leadership okay um which is going to be important later because we're going to get into some very dark uses of chemicals later in the war. Yeah, I was going to say also as well um, that helps with like the payment with these made-up bills, the yeah. EPO bills. Like you know, if 
the closer you can get these companies to the government then. But equally, think about it now. How is the National Socialist, so Socialist Party, got fucking company executives in the government? <laughs> yeah, because it was never about socialism. Fucking madness. Like, there was def- definitely there was a left-wing Nazism that Hitler hadn't fucking killed. Like, the Nazi party is like the integration of, like, business into, like, it's fucking, it's so seedy and intertwined. Yeah, business and the occult. Yeah, pretty much. But definitely, like, anyone talks about, like, the Nazis being socialist, like, it, it's nonsense. No. Like, um, at this point then, so we're now up to 20% almost of national income, not, like, government budget, total national income is being spent on the military. So twenty so, percent of everything made in Germany is going into weapons. <laughs> so we're on, we're on three percent. No, what are we on? Four, like three, nowadays, three, three four, four percent. UK meets. I think UK is on. Yeah, as is different, is it? But like NATO minimum is two percent. Yeah. So as you know, yeah, NATO's target is two percent. You're right. So UK is like two point something. Which I'll have you. Uh, Germany's only just met. I'll have you find. Which they have met though. They've just yeah, they've well just done. up, haven't they? Germany have up to two percent, so they're finally uh, yeah. Well, the US spends something like five percent. US spends about four percent, so that's where we got that from. Okay. So USA, like you know, modern, the most powerful military force the world has ever known. They're spending four percent of GDP. Germany is spending twenty percent of, not GDP, total national product, everything made in Germany, counted as a whole. And I know we've been talking about them, you know, shortages and stuff, but it's still a wealthy country. Yeah. And they can make a lot. Country. It's a big industrial country, this is. So we're not talking about, you know, it's like if you, if you compare it to North Korea, because I think they spend something ridiculous, like 10 yeah, or 20% yeah. on military, don't they? But it's 20% of six potatoes and a bag of rice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's funny how they've got the same issues as well, because I have massive yeah. amounts of famine in North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the logical some, outcome of this. It's, yeah, and obviously like, we get to the stage in Germany where we have massive famine, so... Honestly, like, North Korea... Like, this is a complete tangent, but North Korea, although he uses the imagery of, like, socialism and communism, it's, it's a fascist country in anything but name. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, the best mates with Russia, which is a fascist country. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's no, there's no other way about it. The only way to describe Russia yeah. is, you know, is fascist. It, it's literally what it is, yeah. So, at this point, like, you know, up until this time... The economy has been growing and the military growth has been growing with it, right? At this point, military growth becomes completely detached from what the economy is doing. And it starts actively harming the rest of the economy. So, I'm going to give you a, a little factoid here and I want you to have a guess. In 1938, Germany produces 21 million tonnes of steel. How many million tonnes do you think were allocated to the military? So they do 22 million tonnes. 20, 21 million tonnes total produced. 4 million tonnes. 20. <laughs> what? No, that don't make no sense. What 20 out of 21 million tonnes were... So that's more than 90%. What the fuck? How, did the world, <laughs> how can you get anything done? You can't. When you say to the military, though... The factories that's making the military shit, they would have the metal for their infrastructure, obviously, because you need metal to fucking build factories. So that the, probably the, would have come in under that. I think it's assigned purely to military but that would output. Be, yeah, 
So that yeah, that's that would be military output. But the factories for everything else, they're not getting sales. What are, what are they doing now? Fuck. How do you? That's madness that someone so, could make that decision. I just yeah. At what at what level like? You could never have had any sort of educa- education in your life and re- no, that's a complete mistake. Like that's a that's not going to work. Yeah. So the out the ink the effect of that is. Remember we talked before about how there was a housing shortage in Germany. Yeah. Now there is a ban on new mortgages. So in the middle of a housing crisis, there will be no new houses built in Germany to save steel. Wow. The railways will no longer receive investment, and they get half what of the ridiculous steel. war to start. Yeah. So it became normal in Germany, like you're waiting for a train, and the train arrives. It's covered in red tickets, showing this bit's broken, this bit's broken. What should be like maintenance tickets, and they're just covered in these red. It's marks. amazing how long you can cover your fucking tracks yeah. for, though. Any. Yeah. This is all again. What's going on with Russia and Ukraine? Like, okay, Russia's. Losing ground here and there, but it's only so long they can do that for. Eventually, it's all going to come crumbling down on them. But you know, this is 1938. We're not even inside a war yet. We've got six, seven years of war to get through. Fucking hell. Like. Well, you just cracked out a bottle opening then, mate. You just had another premature. Yeah, another premature. Oh, very nice. So, Germany has, you know, the government revenue is 20, just under 23 billion Reichsmark. They are spending. 30 billion. So they're already at like 30% deficit year on year. They basically have no way of getting more money. Germany is the most taxed society in Europe, and as we've said, lots of people are relatively poor because the uh, development is very. Farmers. Basically. So, you know, you can no longer get a mortgage, but at the same time, to get workers to go and work on the fortifications in the West, they're throwing ridiculous money at them. Like, the salaries are insane to get people to go and do it. Yeah. Like, the German economy has become completely detached from reality in every fucking aspect. It's fucking... It's just... It... Like, what must everyone... Imagine everyone around Hitler, like, his buddies... Well, his first <laughs> first long cronies are all insane anyway. Like, yeah. Himmler, fucking... He's obviously fucking bonkers. So his first circle... But imagine everyone on that next... Outer circle, like, these old Prussian generals. Like, these militaristic Prussian geezers that have gone from Prussian military college, they're there with the big fucking beaver hats and the big moustaches, <laughs> and they're like very well educated on war. These guys are like logical thinkers. Mm-hmm. And then Hitler's doing that. Like, how the fuck did he get away with that? Like, you why is no keep one doing anything? I- keep that idea in your mind, because that's going to come back shortly. Okay. But for all of the people who meet around Hitler, they all like completely believe, okay... Well, it doesn't matter because we're going to defeat the Jewish conspiracy. We're going to conquer Europe, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it just doesn't matter because <laughs> the Jews. Basically, the Basically, madness yeah. and fixation on killing Jews just overwhelms like everything else. Thinking. Everything madness, else goes up and And basically, at this point, because the economy is so centrally controlled by Hitler personally. The Reichsmark stops having any sort of real-world value. It has a value in Germany, okay. But in terms of like trying to convert Reichsmark... On a market, it just wouldn't happen. You can't do it anymore. So it's... Basically, the Reichsmark has only value for exactly what you are buying at that particular moment. That man seriously hated Jews. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. 
it's mental, isn't it? I can't believe that. It, well, I can. I obviously do because I know it plays out. Yeah. It's just, it's flabbergasting. Absolutely flabbergasting. So, so have this in mind. So, okay, like the entire German economy has literally lost all concept with reality. It's just producing weapons. We'll come back to Czechoslovakia. War has been planned by Hitler for 1st of October. The army leaders... 1938. 1938. The military leaders, these Prussian blokes you were just talking about, and also Goering, oppose the war. Not out of any moral reason, like there's no justification for this, but because they think they're going to lose. Like, we Uh. cannot defeat the UK and France together with American backing. We will not survive this war. The chief of staff of the army, a guy named Beck, resigns and is replaced by a new chief of staff, Franz Holder. Do I know that? No. Uh, he'll probably come up later. Okay. And Halder is actively planning a military coup against Hitler. He oh. has snatch squads of soldiers in Berlin ready to arrest the Fuhrer. Because, like you said, the Prussian aristocrat generals are like, what the fuck, we're going to get our asses kicked, what are you doing? Yeah. It's just a shame they didn't pull the trigger on that. Yeah, so Hitler's insisting what on war. Fucking, how many lives would have been saved in the world? Like 50 million, 60 million, 50 like million. To be fair, we're already in a bit of a population crisis. <laughs> not not saying why he did as well, but... Thanks, Hitler! Sending <laughs> <laughs> out the numbers. So much fucking loss of life. Yes. Because of that like, one. That's Imagine like... they just pulled the trigger on that and got yeah. rid of him. The whole thing would have been avoided. So, like, in Oct- into the autumn, it's like, you know, it's a matter of public knowledge. There's frantic diplomacy going on. Goering and Mussolini, also from mid, like you know, Italian, says that both pressuring Hitler, do not start a war over Czechoslovakia. What are you doing? At the same time, inside Czechoslovakia, remember there was the Sudeten Deutsches Reich, or the militia. Yeah. They have started an undeclared war. You know, they're dipping oh. back and forth over the border. They're getting weapons and equipment from inside Germany. They're carrying out terrorist attacks in Czechoslovakia. Was, it, was this orchestrated by Hitler? It's definitely in collusion with the Nazis, yeah. definitely. The Czechs, in response, first of all, they've built up huge fortifications throughout the Sudeten region. Yeah. Which, again, for anyone that's not familiar, it's very mountainous, very forested. Perfect defensive line. Perfect yeah. defensive line. Huge amounts of concrete bunkers. Like, imagine no line inside, inside Czechoslovakia have been built. The Czechs respond to this kind of danger from the German-speaking population. They withdraw German-speaking police from the borders and replace them with Czechs, which kind of makes sense as a security measure, but for the locals, it's like another sign of the oppressive Czech state. Yeah, so I bet that wound them up even more. Exactly. So Hitler is, like, ready for war. All of Europe is frantically trying to prevent this war from happening. And on the 30th of September, the... uh, you know, the representatives of Britain and France and also Mussolini have gone to a conference held in Munich to try and convince Hitler, to try and offer him something to make him back down. And what they agree is that they will hand over the Sudetenland, all of this mountainous border region, to uh, Germany. Just hand it over. Who's made this decision? Czechoslovakia is not invited. Britain, France, Italy and Germany. fucking mad. I know Czechoslovakia at this point is a new country, which it is. It's a new country. But you just think they got the authority to do that. Just give away their country. British public opinion, a lot of it sympathised with the Sudeten Germans. Well, the Germans, why shouldn't they join Germany? 
Yes. Neville Chamberlain says that Czechoslovakia is a faraway country of which we know nothing. So they make the decision they will hand over... Alloy. Yes. They will hand over all of their oh, fortresses and defensive terrain to the Germans. Like, I get the fact that you could spin it as like, oh, they're all Germans anyway, we're just they're going back to the, their own place, but equally, like, a bit of loyalty to your ally, you know what I mean? A little yeah. bit of, like, you, you've got a written alliance with someone, like, it, at the end of the day, that means I got your back and you got my back, and we just didn't have the back, did we? Which fucking yeah. Judas done big time there. So it leaves, the, all of this and, land And they weren't just us. No, they just the French and the Italians. And, and the USSR, because they had their own pack going on. The USSR were very happy to let this sit aside. Fucking mad, uh, isn't it? Like, the, there's... The, later on, the Czechoslovak communists would be like, the Czechoslovak government never asked the Soviet Union for help. And it's true they didn't, because the answer was already clear. Yeah. They never bothered asking. Yeah. So... That, that's fucking up. Yeah. I, feel ba- I feel bad as a as an Englishman for that. I feel really like got it. Yeah, you know, in in England we call this the Munich Agreement. In Czech, it's called the Munich Betrayal. Yeah, I completely understand. No, I'd feel so, fucking well stabbed in the back hole if that was me. Yeah, so, but it, it sort of proves that like when people go around demanding shit, countries like that, you can't back down to them, any. No. Just keep taking, so, taking. Yeah, so all of this mountain region is handed over, and what's left, surrounded by Germany, is like the Czech heartland, which is flat open space and cities. It's impossible to defend. Czechoslovakia can no longer fight for its own freedom if it's threatened. Now, Churchill, in the UK, had rightly uh, realised this is not about the citizen Germans, this is about getting the Czech industry, and he calls out Hitler will be back for the Czech industry. At what and point? Was, so what's his role at this point then? Because obviously we've just gone from... Churchill's China in the wilderness Churchill. politically. He'd been like... He'd kind of had some failures in the 20s and he was like a backbencher and like no one was listening to him. But in the 30s, for all of Churchill's failings as a person... When we say he's a backbencher, of, so he's an MP. He's an MP. He's, so he's been he's not, voted in by his local constituents yes. into Parliament, which is our system of how it works. <laughs> so then he gets a voice in the House... But he's not a government minister, he's not part of government. Okay. And for everything else that Churchill can say about him, obviously there's many terrible things Churchill said and did as a Prime Minister. Oh yeah, he was an old school racist, weren't he? Oh yeah. Even by the standards of the time he was a racist. People were like, whoa, Winnie, you're a racist. But about <laughs> this, he was dead fucking right. That Hitler well, was going to be a problem and that he was coming for the Czech lands. You can still be a racist and still be a hero. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, <laughs> he, he said a lot of fucking stupid shit. But he led the country through a war that we won. He he had he was the head of an alliance that won against the ultimate evil that the world's ever seen. We, I think we're going to do a series to talk about Britain in World War Two because I think Churchill is an interesting guy in that he caused as many fucking problems as that he solved. Yeah. Complex figure. Yeah. And I think British, he's, well, he's British... an alcoholic as well, weren't he? Oh yeah. But like I think like British uh, like public opinion, however, doesn't really like to think about Churchill too deeply. Just like good, yep, nice statue, fine. I don't know. I think I think most people understand that he, you know, he, he was an odd character. Like, I think most people know that is a very odd character. He was very brazenly racist. I think he was sexist. actively dangerous to Britain's war effort. 
Probably. Like, we'll come into it at a later time. We'll I was going to say, that that's a controversial us. take and I want to hear more about it, but now's not the time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But so, I would interest in, I, we can't talk about it after the podcast. I want us to do this on a podcast. I think we should, don't <laughs> want to hear about this. So Czechoslovakia realises its allies have abandoned it, left it with no hope of support. Even though Czechoslovakia has mobilised 300,000 soldiers, they accept the terms that are handed to them and the German army marches into the border region. So what So what happens then? Like What, what ends up with the Czech, like the Czech Republic? They just lose a bunch of land? or Yeah, so they, they hand over the land. And then a couple of months later, Hungary and Poland both dive in and start slicing off territory as well. What, out of the Czech Republic? Yeah, out of Czechoslovakia. Um, Poland slices off some of the northern part of the Czech half and Slovakia, uh, Hungary slices off parts of Slovakia. When you say slices off, like... Ha- Annexes, takes over. Just, just literally rolls in? Yeah, because the Czechs can no longer resist. Why can't they resist... They no longer have any sort of fortifications and it's clear they're on their own. Oh. If they try and fight back, maybe Germany's going to intervene. Oh. And it causes the like the you know disorganization and chaos in Czech government. Um by March nineteen thirty nine, Slovakia would declare independence under like a fascist German puppet government. Okay. During this time, the SD, which is the German like a uh, secret service and the Gestapo, which are the secret police, begin infiltrating Czechoslovakia. And in March 1939, without warning, Germany attacks to restore order in the Czech lands, and with the complete infiltration of the Czech state, they're unable to resist because the Gestapo have already taken control of them from the inside out. The Czech lands are annexed directly into the German Empire, like German Reich as the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia, Czech industry is taken over, which becomes a major source for artillery, aircraft, and tanks. By the time we get to the uh, German invasion of the Soviet Union, Operation Barbarossa, one in five tanks in the German army was made in the former Czechoslovakia. What a fuck up, man. What, so when, when, this, when they invaded afterwards, what did the rest of us say? We just went, oh, is that is it? it? Well, at that point it was clear, like, when we handed over Sudetenland, this was the kind of last big area that Germany could take full of Germans, right? Sudetenland was full of Germans. This is this is yeah, yeah, yeah. a fact. When they took over the rest of the Czech, the Czech half of Czechoslovakia, they were not taking over lands inhabited by Germans. This is a new thing that Hitler had done. When he moved well, the there Rhineland. was an agreement for the Sudetenland. So what I'm saying is, like, so he yeah. just invited the rest and we just all stood there and said, Yeah, oh. exactly, yeah. But for everybody else, for the world, this was a clear sign Hitler's going to start a war. Because there was no longer a justification like, oh, he's freeing Germans. He's just annexed a bunch of Czechs. But I don't Germany. understand why there was no response to that. Because Czechoslovakia could no longer fight back and we'd already handed them over, basically. like everyone, Basically, the German invasion in March of 1939 was so quick, everyone was like, oh, oh, yep, it's gone. And that, that was it. There was no punishment, there was no... Nothing. Fucking hell. Now, I mean, the like the general outcome of this. I mean, one kind of fucking irony is the Sudeten Germans were like massively overrepresented in the SS, overrepresented in the Nazi Party. 
But when the Reich Germans, like the German Germans, came, they treated the Sudeten Germans as a bunch of like idiot country bumpkins. And they didn't like them. Oh, and they tended uh, to promote Czechs over the Sudeten Germans to uh, try and keep the Czech population on side. Uh, so, fuck them for that. And then after... <laughs> yeah, fuck you, you Nazis. Yeah. And then after World War Two, the... German-speaking populations, Czechoslovakia would be expelled from Czechoslovakia forcibly. What we would now call ethnically cleansed. Like, there was a lot of murder and violence, and the German population was thrown out of Czechoslovakia. There is still a movement of Sudeten Germans inside Germany who would like to come back. All of their land was confiscated, all their property was taken over by the Czech state after the war. But, honestly, like... With the extent to which they were pro-Nazi, it's very hard to like yeah bit. for why they did it okay. look ethnic cleansing on any level is not a nice thing but the vengeance they must have felt like if you'd done yep. that to my people do you know what I mean like if we not that we ever have been but if we were ever like persecuted like the people who persecuted me the wrath I'd feel from would be unreal yeah I think it's this podcast does not endorse ethnic cleansing. <laughs> Sponsored un- by ethnic <laughs> cleansing. <laughs> Wash Get rid of your racial problems today. <laughs> Jews, no problems. <laughs> Fuck it out. So, yeah, not to justify ethnic cleansing, but I think it is understandable why the Czech response after the war was violent. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I, completely, I do understand it, but... Equally, I don't think you'd have a leg to stand on in regards to ethnic, uh, you know, Germans trying to move back to the area. You re- you really ain't got much of a leg to stand on, don't think. Yeah, I think the main thing is they want the property value or the value of the property because it was expropriated. Anyone who ever goes on holiday to the Czech mountains, goes skiing, you have a very high chance that the little holiday home you're staying in is an expropriated German dwelling. Yeah. Um. So, to put this back to the Nazi side, so we already said, like, the army was ready to overthrow Hitler if there was any resistance in the West. Goering is begging him not to do it. If the West had stood up to Hitler at this point, most likely the army would have turned on him and Germany would have been defeated in a matter of weeks. This is the single opportunity where the West could have avoided World War Two, and they didn't do it. Hindsight's a bit true, ain't it? I know. <laughs> So, I know, it's easy for us to say now because obviously we know all the facts, but why would you not have stood up to them? I know, I know they're desperate for peace, but so in the aftermath of this, like you know, Germany has just gained more than they'd ever expected to gain through diplomacy. Not a single shot fired. They've taken all of this land. How do you think Hitler's feeling? He's he thinks he's boss of jobs. No, he's really fucking pissed off. He wanted what? a war. He wanted a small war that he would win. You know, 1938, Japan is at war in China and winning. Italy has just, you know, defeated Ethiopia. Yeah. Mussolini's had his little war and won. Why can't Hitler have his little war and win and win a war and celebrate? Yeah. Hitler's really fucking pissed off about this. The, you know, the Nazi party membership are all pent up for war and now they're pissed off they didn't get to fight the Czechs. 
And all of that violence get un- unleashed in Germany on the 9th of November, 1938, in what is known as Kristallnacht, the Night of Broken Glass. I like how the German knights are always called the knights of something, not the night of the knives, <laughs> the knights of broken glass. So this is a night, basically Hitler indirectly ordered this. And it was an order for the entire nation to go out and attack the Jewish population. What? During, because he was, he had all that anger and violence. Yeah, how, did he, how did he put that out to the, the population? He said something like, it was on the radio broadcast, there was something on the lines of, I wouldn't blame the German people if they went and smashed up Jewish shops, something like that. You know. And then they all went mental for it. Yeah, so that was like, okay, Hitler's green lighting it, so they went out. And hundreds of Jewish people would be killed by roving German gangs. Jewish houses were ransacked and looted. Synagogues and businesses were burned. 20,000 oh, Jews man. were rounded up and sent to concentration camps. And this is really the beginning of extreme state violence against the Jews. Throughout 1939, Jewish property, businesses, bank accounts are seized and stolen by the state. All of that money makes basically no difference. They have... The German economy is still fucked. But they just take all of the wealth and possessions of the Jews and make it even harder for the Jewish people to be able to flee Germany and escape the Nazis because now they can't even get a ticket out. Can't get a ticket out. It would have been taxed if they try and leave. Yeah. It's fucking mad. Oh, man. That's mad. And to kind of cap it all with the fucking madness of this episode, the Nazis believed... Because they literally believed in a fucking Jewish conspiracy controlling the world, that the the Americans and the British would see that they you know they've got the the Jewish population of Germany as a prisoner and that they would pay a ransom to give Germany money to let the Jewish people go because the Jewish cabal controlling the world wouldn't allow the Nazis to hurt them, and they believed they were going to get money from the Jewish organization controlling the world. As thank you now. So disconnected to any sort of fucking reality because they're so deep in this fucking conspiracy mindset. It's fucking madness, man, isn't it? It's. You can't even rationally assess it. It's like all you can do is say Hitler believed in this literally and genuinely, and all his actions follow from it. Like, there isn't any sort of like. You cannot look at Hitler and be like, oh, from a rational perspective, he did this, this, and this. Because they're. The man doesn't logic himself into situations. You can't logic him out of them. You can't logic him out of a situation. <laughs> I like that. I'm speechless on it, to be honest. I don't I don't know how. You can't rationalise it, can you? No. You just can't rationalise it. But I think this is the big takeaway from this is 1938, the Western world could and should have stopped Hitler. Yeah, but it's one of, like we said, that one, like I said earlier on, when you know the facts, when you know it all, it's easy, and it? Like, they, was, they were trying to guess what a madman was thinking. This is. They, they like probably, it's... at the time, they probably thought he wasn't a madman. They probably thought he was just a bit of a madman. I think it's, you know, a thing that we always have to keep in mind is how devastating World War One was to the UK and France yeah, and the yeah. desperation to avoid a recurrence of that. Like, I, from the top of my head, I know it's 20% of British men of fighting age were killed or wounded. Yeah. And the French figures are way worse than that. 
it's hard to imagine that and that's what you have to be thinking of when Chamberlain comes back and declares peace in our time yeah but yeah it's a hard, it's a tough time man. I suppose it's a, it, we can't imagine that because we're so far away from that ain't we so that was our today's cheerful episode. And yeah. We're going to stop having fun, cheerful ones now. For the rest of the season, it's, we'll be fucking misery. It's pretty hard to make, uh, make these <laughs> cheerful ones, and they are pretty depressed. <laughs> it's fun when we did the, the last series because they're that far back. Like, you can just make a lot of it. Yeah. Because this is like, it's so recent, it, it hits harder, don't it? It's, you know, our grandparents' generation. Yeah, exactly. So, fuck it yeah. Oh, so, yeah. nice, nice to wrap up there, bruv. Um, thanks for depressing me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no. Nah. Happy days. We're going to plug some stuff. You've been on the Twitter. You've been on the X. Yeah, uh, X now, oh, I think. Is on it? the X, the Twitter. I, what I was hope, wanting to do is I have some pictures from a trip I took to the Czech border. You're naked in the pictures. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, I have some pictures from when I went on a visit to the Czech border fortification, so I want to put up some Ooh, stuff. Ooh, I want to see them. Yeah, you haven't even sent me them, have you? Yeah. I sent some of them to you, but not all of them. But did you say these were check fortifications on the board, or did you just randomly send me a picture? Probably just sent you a random picture. To be I, was say, I, don't, I don't think I've seen these. It was about a year ago that I was actually there, to be fair. But yeah, oh, so okay. I'm going to pop a little bit more detail about Czech um, defence works and the mobilisation before the war and how they plan to defend themselves. So you can see that on Twitter, at Makers of History. Otherwise, if you can solve that eternal mystery of why there was no publishing of Hitler's second book, you can reach us on... I told the... you why. It's because I didn't do the audio book and it didn't get You can reach Hitler, out to Hitler, us... Hitler, if you're secretly living in Argentina under a false name, I'll do the, I'll do the audio book for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can reach out to wearemakersofhistory at gmail.com if you have any questions or anything you'd like to add, extra bonus information that we don't otherwise know. Feel free to drop us a line and let us know there. Uh, we don't have any other social media, do we? No. No. So, yeah, if you enjoy what we have done on the show, if you like what you're listening to, then please uh, rate us on your podcast listening mechanism of choice. Leave reviews if you're podcast listening thing allows that tell your friends about us force your relatives to listen to us uh, hold people against the will and force them force them to listen to us yeah or you know seize 20 percent of a country's land and force <laughs> all of the population to listen to us yeah and put all your sterling to your miniature <laughs> <laughs> well then thanks for listening guys thank you very much bye-bye bye-bye